Hey, welcome to uh, our online experience, and uh, I'm glad that you joined us today. Uh, for some of you, as you're joining us, I've never had a chance to meet you, so I look forward to eventually somewhere down the road meeting you. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here at Grace Church, the Norton Campus. Uh, some of you are watching this, and maybe I'll see you at the drive-in this weekend. If not, I'll see you at the drive-in service next weekend. Uh, we have a drive-in service the 14th and 21st, and uh, they are 8 o'clock, 10.30, and 5.30. And so maybe I'll have a chance to see you and shout at you. But wow, what an incredible change these last three months have brought. It was three months ago, the second Sunday in March, that we met on this property, in this building. We had a full auditorium, and we were in the middle of a series called The Way of Change. And we had no idea how much was getting ready to change, right? But the last three months have brought some incredible change. Who would have imagined that three months later, the things that we have experienced and that have changed in our experience, who would have imagined that Governor DeWine's daily press conferences would have been must-watch TV, right? Who would have ever thought that names like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Amy Acton would have been household names? None of us could have imagined that terms like COVID and coronavirus, that terms like social distancing, flattening the curve, asymptomatic, would all be common vernacular, like they'd be just part of our vocabulary. None of us could have imagined that, right? I never would have dreamed that when we came back to the building, that every time I walk into the bathroom, I'd find Pastor Aiden singing the ABC song while he's washing his hands, right? Everything seems to have changed. Who would have imagined that what at one time, this virtual reality, which was a, a futuristic idea, would all of a sudden become this functional necessity, right? That we'd be doing church virtually, that we'd be doing meetings virtually. Tons have changed, right? Over this time together. Who would have imagined that we would have gone in three months to preaching to a full auditorium, to preaching to a camera, and imagining the people that are watching this? And here's what I know. Everyone wants to know, right? You might want to know this. Everyone wants to know when are we going back to normal, right? As a society, as a culture, even as a church, right? Everyone, when are we going back to normal? And here's what I think. I, I'm not sure that there is going back to anything, right? I mean, there's things that we'll begin doing again that we used to do. But as a leader, the question that you ask is not how do we go back? The question is how do we lead into next? And really, that's what we want to focus on. You see, here's what I know. This uninvited, this unwanted pandemic, this COVID-19 pandemic has brought, even in some of y'all's life, some grief, right? I've talked to some of you. It's brought some unwanted disruption for some of you, some hardship. Some of you watching this, you've lost your job. And I'm, I'm so sorry about that. And, and that has come as a result of the changes of the last three. Some of you, it's insecurity, right? And it's just this fear that it's brought. This unwanted, and I would say uninvited, kind of challenge in our society has brought a lot of disruption. But here's what I want us to think about for the next two weeks. We're going to take a little break here from our conversation in 1 Peter. This unwanted, uninvited pandemic has brought all of those things, disruption and challenge and grief and hardship. But there are some things over the last three months that it has brought that I hope somehow follow us out of this into whatever's next. If you think about it, there are some good things that have happened because we have had to walk through this together. For instance, let me just say, I've talked to some of you. For instance, through this time, some of you would say this, you know, Dan, I kind of am living life at a slower pace. 
I've kind of slowed down, didn't realize how fast I was running. For some of you, you read more books and you're like, man, that's a good thing, right? I'm filling my mind with some good things. I'm in the middle of a book, I bet you wouldn't have guessed this, on Mr. Rogers, right? Somebody got me the biography of Mr. Rogers. It's a good book, right? Uh, Some of you are what we would call sports widows, right? You're sports widows and you're being reunited with your husband over this time. Some of you are spending more time with your kids. These are things that I think are positive that have happened during this time. One of the things that I love is this, is that you can show up to a meeting and you don't even have to wear real pants in this new pandemic, right? You're like, what do you mean by that, right? Uh, A few weeks ago, I was asked to be a part of a community prayer breakfast and it was supposed to start at seven o'clock. And so I was ready and I was going to be leading this prayer and leading a group through it. I was working out at my house downstairs and I had my gym shorts on. I had my cutoff t-shirt. I was all sweaty doing my exercises and it got to be about 6.55. And I remembered at 6.55 that I was supposed to be in this meeting on a Zoom call leading through this prayer breakfast. I ran upstairs, I wiped the sweat off, right? Smelled like a sweat sock. Put on a polo shirt with my gym shorts, sat at my desk, and I looked like I had been prepared to go to the... I love that. I can go to a meeting, wear a pair of gym shorts, right? Nobody knew. Smell like a sweat sock. Nobody knew, right? There are some things that aren't that bad that have happened. As a church, as a church, this time has wrecked much of our routine and rhythm. And it has reinforced and forced us to recognize some realities. And there are some things that it's forced us to think about that I hope we don't lose. And I, for the next two weeks, I, for the next two weeks, want to talk to you about two of those. Here's what I want to talk to you about today, this weekend, on this online experience. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ, I want you to write it down somewhere The church of Jesus Christ is never changing while ever changing. Go ahead and write it down. It's kind of like, what? That sounds like a contradiction, right? In fact, if you read it, you're like, man, they sound like opposites. It's it's what you would call in in the language world an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? You put two words that are opposite together and they kind of reinforce the meaning. Like like she's pretty ugly, right? I'd never say that, right? Or, Or I want me some jumbo shrimp, right? Or you have one choice. Think about that. You have one choice. Those two things put together, right? It's kind of oxymoron. Here's what I mean. The church of Jesus Christ is never changing, yet ever changing. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Over the last three months, it feels like everything has changed. And yet there is something that never changes. And here's what I want you to hear me say. Please hear me say this. Churches that want to make a difference... Churches that want to make an impact, churches that are going to matter, are churches that are never changing, ever changing. They're never changing, and they're ever changing. You're saying, help me understand what you mean, but write this down. They're never changing. Here's what I mean by that. We stand convinced of the never changing message of the gospel. We stand convinced of the never changing. It does not change the message of the gospel. I'm reminded of what 1 Corinthians 15 says. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, good news, that's what that means, that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. 
By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as a first importance. We're going to come back to that. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here's what Paul is saying. This Paul is the guy writing this. He's saying it's of absolute, vital, essential importance that the church of Jesus Christ understands the gospel. And that gospel is never changing. And he says it's important that we understand what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. Please hear me. The gospel is not 10 steps to trying harder. The gospel is not some sort of spiritual self-help. The gospel is not become a better person. The gospel is not, I keep all the Ten Commandments. The gospel is not, go to church and become religious. The gospel is not legislating morality, institutionalizing Christian values. The gospel is not that. Paul is saying that is not the gospel. But the gospel instead, the essence of the gospel is found here. This is what he says. He says in verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. The essence of the gospel is this. Christ died for our sins. What's the essence of the gospel? There is a God, lean in, that loves you so much that he's pursuing you today. He pursued you right to the cross. That when Christ died, he died for you. Why did he do that? Because he died for your sins. The gospel says there's a God who loves you and that you and I all of us are sinners, and that when Christ died, he died in our place for our sin. That he was buried, and that he rose again, and when he rose again, he displayed that he defeated sin, death, and the devil. And when I say yes to Jesus, not what I do, but what he did at the cross, when I say yes to Jesus, I can have forgiveness of my sin. Why? He took my place. He paid my penalty. When I say yes to Jesus, I can have a new relationship with God. Why? He broke down all the obstacles that got between me and God. When I say yes to Jesus, I can have a hope that's forever. I can know heaven's my home. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that is the gospel. In fact, look at what he says. He says this, it is by this gospel you are saved. It's this gospel that is the never-changing message. It is the solution the gospel, the story of Jesus is the solution to the root of every problem we have as individuals, as a country, and as a world. Please hear me on this. Please hear me. Government is not our solution to our sin problem, right? Government isn't the solution. Legislating morality is not the solution institutionalizing Christian values is not the solution. Can I tell you something? That we could have, we can have a nation of Christian values and Christian morality that isn't Christian because it hasn't embraced the essence of the gospel that I'm a sinner, that God loves me, that Jesus died for me, 
and I'm going to trust what he did in my place for my sin. That's the gospel. And what Paul is saying is, that's the gospel that saves you. He doesn't just say that, but look at what he says. He says, this gospel, he passed on as of first importance. It is absolutely vital. What is Paul saying? He's saying the most important thing. If you call Grace Church your home, really lean in right now. He's saying the most important thing, the essential. You know, we were in this kind of time when essential, non-essential. The essential for the church, the most important thing, is the declaration and demonstration of the never-changing message of the gospel. That's what he's saying. Paul is saying, this is my priority. And he's saying, it ought to be our priority. And in generations to come, it is the priority of the church. The same gospel Paul preached is the same gospel we preach is the same gospel 2,000 years from now that will be the never-changing message that saves and that is the solution. The church is never changing in its stand that it is convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet the truth is this that that never-changing message, you ought to write this down somewhere, that never-changing message of the gospel is ever-changing me. I'm going to talk to you a minute. That never-changing message is a message that is ever-changing me. Here's the problem. People don't like to change. Raise your hand if you don't like to change. Go ahead. Raise your hand. (laughs) Be honest. Because that's just human nature, right? We don't like to change. And yet I want to suggest something that might kind of let you unsettled for a minute, and I'm okay with that. I want to suggest that a Christian who is not ever changing is a person who is not really convinced of the never-changing message of the gospel. A never-changing Christian is a contradiction Because by very nature of what the gospel is and does, it is ever-changing me. I would even suggest this, that it's quite possible that a never-changing Christian is really a (laughs) non-Christian. Uh-oh. Right? You see, the gospel is, is the power to change me, and it is the power of the gospel that's working in our life in an ever-changing way. Same guy, Paul, writing to the same people, in 2 Corinthians says, so all of us who've had the veil removed, that's what the gospel does. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. We have access to God. Can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. We have access to God. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Jesus as we are changed into his glorious image. That's what he says. Here's what Paul's saying. You and I, stay with me, you and I need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Write that down somewhere. Every day. You're like, I'm already saved. You see, the gospel isn't just the thing that saves me, it's the thing that changes me. It's the power to change. The more I preach the gospel, the more change ignites inside of me. The more I grow in the grace of the gospel, the more the grace of the gospel grows out of me. The more I experience the gospel, the more I extend the gospel. The never-changing message of God's forgiveness leads to an ever-changing life of forgiveness. 
The never-changing message of God's love found in Christ leads to an ever-changing life of love. The, the, the never-changing message of God's humility found in the gospel leads to an ever-changing life of humility. You see, the never-changing message of the gospel is ever-changing me. And if I'm never changing, then I've got to go back and say, I wonder if I've ever embraced the never-changing message of the gospel. Because when that never-changing message of the gospel, that seed of that message takes, is planted in my life and takes root in my life, it begins to grow. Gospel-likeness. Which what Paul is saying is that looks an awful lot like Jesus. You see, this never-changing message is ever-changing me. But can I talk to you about this? And then we're done. The never-changing gospel is ever-changing not just me, but us. It's ever-changing us. It's a never-changing message. Can we just say this? You already know this. People don't like the change, right? You already raised your hand. And if the church is a collection of people who have trusted Christ, can we just say that a lot of times a church can be a collection of people who don't like to change? Is that just true? Like the fact of the matter is there are a lot of churches who don't like to change. I got stories, right? You probably got stories. Right? Don't change what I'm used to. Don't change the seed. Don't change, right? Don't like to change. Here's what I want to tell you this, right? Churches that don't change die. You got to write that down somewhere. Churches that won't change die. I found this uh, article, I was kind of researching some things, and here's some signs that your church might be resistant to change. I'm so glad that we're part of a church that over the years has has embraced change. In, in, In this coronavirus, we've had to embrace change, be flexible, right? Here's an article that says, signs your church is resistant to change. Every time you raise a new idea, people have three reasons it won't work. Second reason or sign that your church is resistant to change. Your fondness, listen close, because we, we at any time can kind of waft into this. Your fondness for the past exceeds your passion for the future. A sign that your church is resistant to change is you're always talking about the past. Even at the expense of looking into how do we run into the future. Third is the church theme is we've never done it that way before. We've never tried it that way before, right? A church that's ready to change says, yeah, we've never done it that way before, but we might be willing to try it. Fourth is this, small things become big things. Talking about the wrong things. When small things become big things, you're talking about the wrong things, right? Number five, tradition gets confused with doctrine. That's a sign your church is resistant to change. Tradition gets confused with doctrine. There is a difference between thus saith the Lord And it seems to me, those are different. And the sixth thing is this, the way we like it becomes more important than making sure Jesus makes sense to others. Those are signs your church is resistant. I'm so glad we're part of a church that isn't resistant but embraces change. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. Can I show you this? Make some observation and then we're going to finish. This is so important. He says, I'm free and belong to no one 
I've made myself a slave, a servant to everyone. I've leveraged my life for their benefit is what he's saying. To win as many as possible. To the Jew I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Then he says this, so as to win those not having the law. He goes on to say this, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have, this is key, become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. What's Paul saying? He says, I'm going to do whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel so that Jesus makes sense. That's the way we say here at Grace Church. We live to make Jesus make sense. In this never-changing message of the gospel that's all about Jesus, we will do whatever it takes to make that message make sense to people who desperately need to hear what does that mean? Well, there might be three things worth writing down. First is this. I'd write this down. We will accept individual ownership of the mission to make Jesus make sense. That's one thing this time has taught us. We have not been able to gather. We've been scattered. We've been scattered. And, and during this time, for three months, we've been scattered, right? And, and it's felt like an eternity to some of you, right? And yet one of the positive things is this, is that while the church is scattered, it begins to reinforce the understanding that we all have individual ownership of this mission. This is not the first time, by the way, that the church has been scattered. In the book of Acts, when the church was scattered, guess what? That's when it grew the fastest. Why? Because those who were scattered took individual ownership of the message of Jesus, and they declared it wherever they went. Listen, the most powerful impact we will have as a church, ready, has nothing to do with a program we'll put on, a service we'll produce, a building we'll build. The most powerful impact that we will have as a church is always and will be always when people who are ever changed by the gospel, by the never-changing message of Jesus, take individual ownership to disperse that message. You see, when you reread 1 Corinthians 9, when I reread it and I place my name in there, here's how it sounds. Listen close. Just listen to me. Though Dan... I'm free and belong to no one. I'm free in the gospel. I, Dan, have made myself a servant to everyone. Think about this. Put your name in there. I, Dan, have made myself a servant to my neighbor to win as many as possible. I, Dan, have made myself a servant to the people I work with to win as many as possible. I, Dan, have made myself a servant to the people I go to school with, to the people I'm on the team with, to make myself a slave to them so that I might win as many as possible. I, Dan, do all this for the sake of the gospel so that by all possible means I might save some. You see, when we begin to take individual individual responsibility, all of a sudden I begin thinking about my three. We talk about that, right? Who are my three? Three people in my life who don't know Jesus. 
You see, we haven't been able to gather for three months and the church is still at work. It's scattered, right? The minute I think that the church's effectiveness is only when it gathers, and I want to gather, and there is importance in gathering, all of a sudden, I've lost sight of the effectiveness of what happens when Christ followers take individual ownership of declaring and demonstrating this never-changing message. There's a second thing. I want you to write it down this way. We will make necessary sacrifices to cross boundaries to make Jesus make sense. I think that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I'll make any necessary sacrifice in order to cross whatever boundary for the sake of the gospel. Think about it this way. It just makes sense. That's the essence of the gospel. God made the necessary sacrifice to cross the boundary so that we could have a relationship with him. Isn't that interesting? I think what Paul is saying is this. We'll make any necessary sacrifice to cross generational boundaries, to cross racial boundaries, to cross cultural boundaries. It's the difference between the church being engaged with their culture for the sake of the gospel or somehow entrenching in a holy huddle. You see, a church that makes any necessary sacrifice is going to engage with its culture. Why? That's what Paul's saying. So that we might win some. I read a guy named Russell Moore. He says something, and this will leave some of you unsettled maybe, but, but he has a quote in one of his books, and it makes me think about this. But his quote goes like this. He says, the next Billy Graham, the next Billy Graham might be drunk right now. I love that. What's he saying? He goes on to say, the fact of the matter is, the next Billy Graham, sometimes we think, well, that's somebody who's already in some sort of Christian subculture. He said, but the next Billy Graham, the next person God may use might be somewhere where you have to cross a boundary in order to reach them, to share the gospel with them. And Paul's saying, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. There is no us in them. We're going to cross whatever boundary. We're going to make the necessary sacrifice. You see, when I become outward focused, I become willing to cross boundaries. Leads to the third thing. The third thing is this. We'll embrace innovation and creativity so that Jesus makes sense to others. I think that's one of the things this, this whole crisis has shown us is that we'll do whatever. Aren't you glad we have technology? Aren't you glad we can do this? I'm so glad. And so we're going to keep redeeming it. We're not going to bemoan technology. Can technology be used for bad things? Yes or no? Hopefully you said yes. Sure it can. We're not going to bemoan that. You know what we're going to do? Redeem it. We're going to redeem it. I love the way an author wrote it who, who I was reading. He said, if Paul was alive today, Paul would say this. And it's a little dated, but he said, to the indie rocker, I did indie rock. To the hip hoppers, I did hip hop. To the tech guys, I had a Twitter account. For the families, I talked about marriage and kids and parenting. For the business guys, I did financial seminars and connected it back to God. For environmental rights activists, I told them about God who was the creator since they enjoyed his work so much. Paul is simply saying this. He goes on to write, I tried to figure out how to articulate Jesus in as many ways as I possibly could, to as many people as I possibly can, to win as many people as are possible. I did all this, why? For the sake of the gospel. 
He says, shame on those churches who will not change. Shame on those pastors who will not change. Shame on those theologians who are nothing but contenders. He says, we defend the truth. We refute the heretics. We fight all the false teaching. And he said, that's great. You have the gospel, but what are you going to do with it? Who's getting saved? Who's meeting Jesus? Who's repenting of sin? What churches are being planted? He goes on to say this, shame on those who have conferences and write books only about what they're against and never call people to mission. That is nothing like Paul. It's nothing like Jesus. He says it's a sin to fight for the gospel and then do nothing with it. Jesus said it's like having a lamp and then covering it so no one can see. It benefits no one. He said many things get in the way. Churches continually choose their past over their children. It's a sin to change the message, but it's a sin not to be willing to change the methods to reach some. I was reading about uh, the turn of the century, the 20th century. Primary mode of transportation was horse and buggy. Been a lot of change since then, right? There's all these companies that manufactured buggies so that horses could pull them. And the main things people were worried about was horse and buggy accidents, right? And what to do with all the excess manure, right? As all of a sudden things began to change and they're trying to figure out how to make their buggies, all of these companies that were buggy makers, so to speak, uh, were introduced to a new idea that somebody invented this thing called the automobile. This article I was reading said most of the buggy manufacturing companies looked at that and thought, that's a threat. Except one. It was the McLaughlin Carriage Company. The McLaughlin Carriage Company decided that what they would do was figure out how to transition from making buggies into making automobiles. And they became known as what you might recognize the GM Company. General Motors. And see, the rest of the buggy companies that were threatened by this, all of a sudden, one by one, started to go out of business. Why was that? Listen, I want to tell you something to teach you. The reason for that was simply this. GM knew something different than those buggy manufacturing companies. Those buggy manufacturing companies thought that their primary purpose and passion and their number one goal was to make buggies. And they felt threatened when something got in the way of their buggies. GM knew something different. They knew their primary passion and primary priority and primary purpose was to transport people. And so they were going to make it their goal to do that in the most effective way they possibly could. You see, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, We are Christ's ambassadors. We are transporters of the gospel. As though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have a never-changing message that is ever-changing us. And we are going to be willing to ever change for the sake of that never-changing message. Can I tell you something? Churches that say they are convinced 
of the never-changing message but are never changing in their methods are dying. And I would say they're not really that convinced of the never-changing message they say they are. The flip side is also a reality. Churches that are always changing their methods in a way that is always changing their message to accommodate their culture, I would suggest they are dead as well. And they're not really compelled by the never-changing message of the gospel. The church of Jesus Christ is never changing, ever changing. And so therefore, whatever challenge or change might come our way, we have a never-changing message, the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel that is ever-changing us. And we are willing to make any necessary sacrifice, taking the individual ownership, redeeming creative innovation in order to win as many as possible so that Jesus makes sense to those who desperately need to know him. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm so grateful for the never-changing message of the gospel. And I pray that it would be ever-changing me, ever-changing our church, and that we would look for creative ways to be ever-changing so that as many people as possible might know Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.